This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. Uh, Micah. I'm Laura. And we're joined by one of our Slug Club patrons this week, Grace. Hi, Grace. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Super excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, good to have you. You're wearing your Voldemort Day shirt, right. which I don't know if we should allow that. That's very dark. But... For Voldemort and Valor. <laughs> whoa, wow. whoa, don't say it. Oh, <laughs> whoa. Ah, ah, chills. Thanks for supporting us on Patreon. Let's get your fandom ID. So my favorite book is Goblet of Fire. My favorite movie is probably Deathly Hallows Part 2, just because I saw it at LeakyCon in 2011. So it's a great memory. Um, my Hogwarts house is Slytherin, if you couldn't tell from the Voldemort Day shirt. Um, <laughs> my <laughs> Ilvermorny house is Horn Serpent, so Snake Snakes. And then ironically, my Patronus is a Lioness, so bummer. Um, and then the last question this week about my favorite room or area of Hogwarts kind of threw me because obviously after the chapter we're talking about today, you want to say room of requirement. But after I thought about it, I think one of the coolest places in Hogwarts is actually Dumbledore's office. Oh. I really love the design of that space and also the stuff in it. You know, I feel like you yeah. could be in there forever. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Dumbledore's office on that one. It's so cozy. And of course, you just want to hang out with Dumbledore in there. Yeah. Yeah. Have some mead. All the old like headmasters socks. and everything. Man, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's cool. Well, great. Welcome to the show. And like you mentioned, we are discussing Order of the Phoenix chapter 18 today, Dumbledore's Army. And we'll get to that in a little bit, but we've got some news to talk about. First of all, Cormoran Strike Book Five is titled Troubled Blood, and it will be released September 29th, 2020. J.K. Rowling recently said that she had finished the book, so we were we were expecting it this year. And uh, yeah, coming out this fall now. So now I definitely need to finish reading Lethal White. I'm up against the clock officially. <laughs> it seems like, uh, based on the title, that Strike will be uh, confronting some of his uh, relations, some of his blood relations. Oh, okay. You think? Yeah. That's kind of what I get. Yeah, there used to be a time on the show where we would analyze titles of J.K. Rowling books, so. <laughs> Not anymore, though. <laughs> yeah, I just think of the Taylor Swift song, Bad Blood, every time I look at that title. That's what I thought of, too. It's definitely her inspiration. <laughs> now we got trouble, blood. Um. Anyway, so yeah, we're all looking forward to that. We're all in agreement here that these books are really, really good. Lethal White was dense, so that's why I would... I had tuned out and not finished it, but I'm looking forward to this, and I'm really glad J.K. Rowling is keeping up this series. I think there's a chance for a double meaning, though, here, too, not just related to Strike, but I'm sure if there's a case that he's working, that it's possible that there could be some troubled blood between the family members. Ooh. Yeah. Um, or maybe there is trouble with the blood. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Maybe it's got, like, a, a biological agent or something mm, in it. Right. Maybe blood is a person. Whoa. <laughs> Maybe troubled is a person. Whoa. 
<laughs> but it's interesting though because we don't know much about Strike's family. I don't think. I mean, we know about his father a little bit, but I guess we're going to learn a lot more. You know, each of these words ends with the letter D, and Dan Radcliffe starts with D. So I think this confirms Dan Radcliffe is in the plot of Troubled Blood. Definitely. I didn't know we brought back a crackpot theory. <laughs> that is not a crackpot theory. That is a good theory. Okay. Well, speaking of, ex- I was going to say, ahead. speaking of crackpot theories, Cursed Child is opening in Japan. <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of expansion, yeah, Cursed Child is opening in Japan. This is going to be the seventh production by the time it opens in summer 2022. This will be the first production in Asia. Ooh. So pretty cool. Nice to see it expanding. I don't think any of us are ever going to get over to Japan to see it. I mean, we can't even get Laura to New York to see it. So. <laughs> yeah, not going to happen. Hmm. Have you seen it, Grace? Yeah, I actually flew to New York over the summer. Uh, it was like my graduation from graduate school present to myself. So That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. of course you did because you're wearing the shirt. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I went and saw it over, over the summer. I wish I could have seen it with the original cast, but... It was mm. interesting. <laughs> interesting. Oh, you didn't? Did you not love it? I did. Well, I read the the book, of course, the script book. Um, but the the illusions in that show were worth every penny to fly up there. Like the stuff yeah. that they do in the theater is incredible. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. The illusions are crazy. They make you believe that Voldemort had a child. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> <laughs> One other little piece of news to mention fantastic beast 3 is going to start filming like any day now callum turner who plays theseus scamander in the series he said while he hasn't seen the script and he has no idea about the extent the extent of his involvement they were going to start filming in about six weeks and he said this back in mid-january um so that would put this timeline at right around now, late February. So we'll see if Warner Brothers makes an announcement. Presumably they will once they're in production because people will like to see that, including their investors, that they're actually filming this finally. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully we'll get some more information about the film in the weeks ahead. Maybe maybe they'll even rev the fandom up and give us a title. Who knows? No. <laughs> but uh, That's all I want. To, to, just to add to that, I know on the last episode, which was a couple weeks ago, We had talked about the new illustrated edition of Sorcerer's Stone done by Mina Lima, and we reached out to them, and we will probably have them on the show closer to when the book is released. But one thing that I did get, a piece of information, I guess from their publicist, is that uh, they can't do it now because they are working on Fantastic Beasts 3. So There you go. A nice tie-in to your uh, story here, Andrew. Yeah. Aren't we more important than Fantastic Beasts 3? Can't they cut some time out for us? <laughs> After the last movie, I don't know, Andrew. I would think that – not to say – I mean, obviously, the work that Mina Lima does is uh, exceptional. But It's amazing. Storytelling yeah. is uh, – needs a little work. Mm-hmm. So – um yeah so i'm just i'm i'm excited to see hopefully we get some information i mean we're still what a little under two years away now from fantastic beast 3 sure but if if all had gone according to plan we would have been seeing it this november and i'm sure we would have heard a lot about it by now but oh well yeah hmm. i'm calling it fantastic beast more hogwarts y'all until they uh <laughs> announced an official title <laughs> since they said we're going to be getting more hogwarts mm-hmm. okay we have some muggle mail to discuss today as well but first this week's episode of muggle cast is sponsored by open fit 
If you are like many Americans, you are busy and haven't yet changed your exercise habits. Going to the gym is hard. Making it routine is even harder. Finding a personalized workout that meets your fitness goals and helps you lose weight? Now that's easy thanks to OpenFit. OpenFit takes all the complexity out of losing weight and getting fit. It's a new fitness streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room in as little as 10 minutes a day. OpenFit offers 350 brand new live workouts every week. You can choose from bar and Pilates classes, cardio, strength training, yoga, even guided walking and running sessions. All you need is your phone and a pair of headphones. Then there's an endless number of pre-taped workouts that are fun, fast, and effective. What I love most about OpenFit is that I can easily fit it into my day. There's no crowded gyms to deal with and no trip to the gym at all. I just load up the app whenever and wherever I have a bit of time. This is especially helpful during the winter months when winter can make you want to skip the gym. I have been there at least once a week. <laughs> OpenFit has changed the way I work out. And by texting our code MuggleCast to 505050, you can join us on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Right now, during the OpenFit 14-day challenge, our listeners get a special extended 14-day free trial membership to OpenFit when you text MuggleCast to 505050. You will get full access to OpenFit, all the workouts and nutrition information totally free. Again, just text MuggleCast to 505050. Standard message and data rates may apply. Take a moment to sign up. You won't regret this, especially because you will feel good after working out. That's why I do it. And uh, we all need a mood booster. Thank you, OpenFit. And as a reminder to all of our MuggleCast listeners, we have a listener survey going out in the interwebs right now. And the important thing about this is that it is the best way for you as our listeners to tell us, well, how you found the show, what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, and where you're from. Because, uh, well... Spoilers. But uh, we have a lot of good questions. We poured over it. They each tell us a, a, a just a depth of knowledge we didn't have before. If you would be so kind, please take the time this week to fill out the MuggleCast listener survey. We are actually capping responses. Um, we're going to stop gathering responses on this Friday, February 28th, because that will have been uh, at least a month since we've had this thing out. So uh, we've gotten over a thousand responses. It's super helpful, but... Don't think for a second that somebody else said exactly what you would say if you took it, because it may be your insight that leads us to the next big gift that we give our patrons or Ooh. next big event, live event that we do. I mean, mm -hmm. really, there's several f opportunities there in the questions to point, you know, to really lay out your specific opinion or ideas. And we are looking at those. We are ravenous for uh, those ideas. So if anyone says they don't like my singing, though. That will be thrown in the trash. Just a warning. Andrew, I've reviewed I've reviewed a couple of the responses. I uh -oh. don't know what to tell you. I'm so <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. But then ever, for everybody that said they didn't like it, uh, other people are clamoring for like an album. So oh. you got to like... Wait, yeah. did people actually say they don't like it? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, okay. All right. Well, they will now because <laughs> they basically asked so for please, it. So please take until this Friday to... Or not, no, do it before this Friday uh, to fill out the MuggleCast listener survey. And the link for that will be in the show notes. It's already on the website and our social. All right. Time now for some Muggle mail on... Uh, Twitter. We actually heard from uh, an old college friend of mine, Brian, uh, and uh, he, oh. yeah, he actually found the show by himself, not through me, and then followed up with me and asked me if it was actually me on the show. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> this was years ago 
at this point, years ago. Uh, but he says, on the topic of Harry becoming an Auror instead of becoming a professor at Hogwarts, he could be slash do both. My best professors were the practicing designers or visiting artists who took time off from their professional careers to advise on the current trends and practices outside the walls of the university. I had professors who went directly from study to teaching, and those classes were not as beneficial as the educators who learned what worked slash didn't work out in the real world. So I know we uh, so true. We I love talked that. on the last episode about whether or not Harry should have just gone back to Hogwarts and taught there, specifically Defense Against the Dark Arts, instead of becoming an Auror, because let's face it, he defeated Voldemort at 17. He doesn't really need to become an Auror. Any, <laughs> any dark forces that he faces in the future pale in comparison to, uh, to Voldemort. This won't live up to the original. But that, that is a, a big thing in academia is having professors who uh, li- like worked in the field. Um, or or actively working in the field. I know that was a big thing um, that DePaul was advertising when I was going to DePaul uh, here in Chicago is that a certain high percentage of their staff members were actively working in the field that they were teaching. That's great. It's reassuring. This person practices what they preach, you know? Yeah, just promises they have like up-to-date info on what it's really like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, uh, um, I actually teach at a community college. And so that's one of the really cool things about it is that we all have like day jobs and then we also get to teach, you know, part time. So we get to put that practice into the classroom. It's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. What do you teach? Um, I teach public speaking. So communication. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Everyone's least favorite class behind math, but. (laughs) (laughs) That's important. No, tell tell people, hey, you want to be a podcaster someday? Take I this actually class. do cover podcasting as forms of modern public speaking. So really, this is oh, cool. cool. I get to go in and be like, see, I wasn't kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, on a similar note, we also heard from Seabird on Twitter. They say, hey, Mellowcasters, in the latest episode, you asked the question if Harry could even become a teacher since he didn't graduate. And at this point, I want to reach through my phone and yell, how can you forget Hagrid? (laughs) He's a teacher, not a very good one, but left after his third year. Yeah, that's Mm. true. Yeah, good point. Yeah, good good point. point. But it was Dumbledore back then who was hiring these lackeys. Who who is it now? Is it McGonagall? Is it somebody else? Yeah, I feel like McGonagall would probably have uh, more stringent standards. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> it could still be Hagrid. He'd just have to take a couple of those uh, certification courses. <laughs> and he would have to use open fit. Maybe if he shed a couple pounds, then uh, he could come in incognito. <laughs> oh, right. If shaved his beard, nobody would recognize him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, and, and, and this makes me think of Neville, too. Uh, we never know whether or not he finished Hogwarts, and he obviously becomes herbology professor. Hmm. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. And this from Abigail. Hey, MuggleCast, big fan here. I've been listening to your podcast for a little while now with my sister. I recently became a patron because I wanted to get in on the extra content. My sister, Hannah, has been a patron for several months, and I haven't told her I became a patron. I think it would be funny if you read this email on the podcast so I can rub it in my sister's face that I was on MuggleCast first. (laughs) Wishing you all the best, Abigail. So, Hannah, your sister's a patron now. Isn't that cool? Thank you both. (laughs) Wouldn't it be funny if they met on this morning's hangout first? (laughs) You're here too? (laughs) What? Oh, sisterly shade. 
Yeah. And and thank you, sisters, for getting separate accounts. You know, other people would share their password, but you two, you pledge separately. So thank you. We appreciate that a lot. Like Micah, for example, always asking me for my Disney Plus password, my Netflix password. I'm like, dude, pay for it yourself. But somehow you still give it to me. So mm-hmm. I don't know why. Because I love you. That's why. Hmm. Okay. So we also have a voice message now from Marie. Hey, MuggleCast. This is Marie. Um, relatively new listener, but I am obsessed and I have been listening backwards all the way up to like episode 300. Um I wanted to share with you a quick theory that I had. I I was curious once um, about what Dumbledore's Bogart might be, so I googled it and it said that it was the corpse of his sister Ariana, but I don't remember that being anywhere in canon. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but my theory um, is that Dumbledore's Bogart is actually himself. Now hear me out. Um, he knows that he has a dark past. He knows that he made poor decisions as a young man. He knows that he shouldn't trust himself with power. I'm pretty sure that he actually said that that's the reason why he didn't become minister of magic when everyone wanted him to be. Um, he knows that he's probably partially or fully responsible for the death of his sister. Um, and I'm sure that he realizes all of his flaws. And so that's my theory is that he, when a Bogart stands in front of Dumbledore, that it becomes himself. And that's what his greatest fear is. Let me know what you think. Thanks. That is super cool for sharing. However, we did look this up, and J.K. Rowling did confirm that his Bogart is his sister Ariana, which I love. I did not know that before. This is one of those things that J.K. Rowling just mentioned in passing in like a Bloomsbury web chat back in like 2007 or something. So who knows if she still remembers that. Hopefully she does. And this may even come into play in the future Fantastic Beasts films. I will say, I think I think Dumbledore is into himself enough, enough though, that um, I could see this being some kind of like AU theory about his Bogart. Mm. He, he AU? Is kind of, yeah, alternate universe. Um, oh, oh. He's, you know, Dumbledore is kind of into himself. <laughs> yeah. I really like this theory. Yeah, I think he fears himself too, though. So I think it makes sense. He fears what he himself is capable of, especially after. Ariana's death. It ties him very closely to Lita. It's it's almost the exact same Bogart, just in different form. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing, Marie. Before we get to chapter by chapter, this week's episode is also sponsored by a product that the Granger family would surely be big fans of, Quip. Quip are makers of the Quip electric toothbrush, and they want you to know the one single discovery that matters most for your dental care. It's simply that good habits are important. You hear this from the dentist all the time. They ask, are you brushing twice a day? Are you flossing daily? And Quip helps you keep those good habits by keeping things simple, starting with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and anti-cavity toothpaste. Quip's electric brush has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer and 30-second pulses to guide a full and even clean. I love the Quip because it's lightweight, quiet, and thinner than other electric toothbrushes. It's just so much nicer. Plus, the Quip Floss Dispenser comes with pre-marked string to help you use just enough. And Quip's got your back. They'll deliver a fresh brush head, floss, and toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping, so your routine is always right. 
Join over 3 million healthy mouths and get Quip today starting at $25. This is a fantastic deal for an electric toothbrush. I've been on the road for a month now with my Quip and I'm absolutely loving it. I initially brought it with me just because it was smaller than my other electric toothbrush, but now I'm addicted to this thing thanks to how much quieter and lighter it is. We have a special offer for everyone. If you go to getquip.com slash muggle right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash muggle. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash muggle. Quip is the good habits company. Okay, it's time now for chapter by chapter, and we're discussing Order of the Phoenix chapter 18, Dumbledore's Army. What an exciting chapter. And we will start, as always, with our seven-word summary. And Grace, you get to kick it off today. So I'm going to start I'm going to start the music after you contribute the first word. Okay? Um, all right. So first word. All right. Hogwarts. Is. Uh, uh, holding. A. <laughs> Group. Defense. Meeting. Yay. <laughs> With like seven <laughs> seconds to spare. Well done. <laughs> Go team. I really like that music. I love how we arranged the letters so that they say lame in the middle, but <laughs> <laughs> the segment is trying to tell us something. <laughs> we pulled through. <laughs> so yeah, like, you know, as the chapter title suggests, this is the chapter in which we have our first real Dumbledore's army meeting. However, this chapter starts off with something I, I wanted to mention, kind of unrelated to the overall discussion. Um, at the beginning they're discussing Umbridge's latest infiltration, uh, looking at Harry's letters. And Harry Accio is a bullfrog. And this jumped out to me because I remembered that on her new website last year, J.K. Rowling said, or a couple years ago, J.K. Rowling said that Newt could not just Accio all his beasts in the first Fantastic Beast movie because you can only Accio inanimate objects. So... <laughs> A little mistake there, and this is why J.K. Rowling needs a team of people to like make sure everything she's saying checks out canon-wise. Right. I was thinking about it, and like, so the first time we ever see McGonagall in Transfiguration, she transfigures a table into a pig. Mm -hmm. Which, like, how does that work? Um, so my out was maybe the toads that they use in Flitwick's classroom are like her old socks or something that she's just turned into toads for them to be able to practice on. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, Maybe they are inanimate objects at heart. <laughs> Bit of a stretch, but yeah, it can work in the wizarding world. It could. Yeah. But if you go to Crimes of Grindelwald, Newt does Accio the Niffler at one point during the movie. Yeah. Right. Except I think the reason that we have been discussing this more recently is because in the first Fantastic Beast movie, he could have supposedly Accio'd all of the beasts that fell out of his case. Exactly. And then J.K. Rowling's like, no, you can't do that. And then in the next movie, she's like, Akio Niffler. <laughs> <laughs> there have been theories about maybe because the Niffler was so close in proximity or because the Niffler had gold in its pocket. Right. But but mm. Newt said Niffler, not Akio gold. It's also smaller. It You know, it's a Niffler. It's not an erumpet or something that is massive in size. I also like what you said about proximity. I don't think he could just wave his wand and you know central park and if 
the beast is by the Empire State Building, it's automatically going to just fly over to him. No, not in that traffic. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, what was he going to say? Akio, all of my beasts. Right. <laughs> Movie over. Well, he'd be able yeah. to name them one by one. It's a lot, a of, lot beasts. of them aren't indigenous to the region, so they're probably the only one of its kind in the thing. What I go back to is that the uh, Harry Akio'd his broom from his uh, his bedroom on the other side of the grounds during the first Triwizard mm. task. There is a distance allotment. You're allowed to do it from some kind of a distance. Right, right. How far? That is the question. Mm-hmm. Hasn't J.K. Rowling said you couldn't do it over an ocean, too? I vaguely remember something like that. Yes. One other thing I just want to mention at the top of the chapter, because we did discuss this when we were talking about the Hogshead, but the chapter art for Dumbledore's army is actually pretty comical. Not sure if people got a chance to take a look at it, but it is Dobby with mm-hmm. a lot of hats mm-hmm. and scarves and socks and... uh Pretty significant, though, that he also plays a role in a chapter titled Dumbledore's Army. We can talk more about him later. My big question about McGonagall and her classroom, this is something interesting. So what they're doing to the the, the toad, uh, or the bullfrogs, sorry, um, is silencing them using silencio. Um, something that struck me was, in the absence of a proper defense against the dark arts teacher – is it possible that the other teachers are picking up some of the slack? The reason is I, you know, you see what Silencio does to a bullfrog, but immediately, because I know the, you know, how this chapter is ending, I'm thinking this would be a great spell for people to learn on other people because so few people, even as of year seven can do nonverbal magic. So you need to, shout a spell in order to do a spell. And if you have silencioed somebody, odds are they can't shout the spell in the way that they are required to cast the spell. Wouldn't silencio be like one of the most effective defensive um, spells? Yeah. Well, especially amongst the kids, maybe not so much the adults, because it seems, at least in Fantastic Beasts, all the adults know a lot of nonverbal magic. Oh, that's a good point. Magic. But yeah, amongst the kids, I mean, Harry could shut up Draco and then Draco would be useless in terms of his offense. Mm-hmm. I do like this connection you're making though, Eric, because did we talk in a previous discussion about how Umbridge didn't like the fact that Snape was teaching the strengthening solution? Oh, yeah. So maybe there is something to the professors doing a little bit of defense against the dark arts in their own classes. That's fascinating. Yeah. You think they're like meeting up? away from Umbridge and being like, okay, this is what I'm going to do this week. Yeah. They're like coming up with lesson plans to supplement the uh, lacking Defense Against the Dark Arts lessons. That that all makes a lot of sense. I like this theory a lot. But I don't think they catch on to it necessarily. Who? The kids? You know, Harry, while he's, while he's lesson planning, isn't exactly like, ooh, this would actually be perfect because Snape's the only person I know that doesn't need to say a spell to cast it. Mm-hmm. So. so despite the bad news that Umbridge is probably reading Harry's mail, the Gryffindor Quidditch team does get approval to practice. And Angelina says she went to McGonagall and she thinks that McGonagall went to Dumbledore and then Umbridge had to give in. So assuming this is true, how did Dumbledore argue this to Umbridge, I wonder? And what where are the limits in terms of when Umbridge would give in? Because 
it doesn't i can't picture dumbledore going to umbridge and umbridge being like you know what you're right i'm gonna let them practice i can see dumbledore arguing this in a manner very similar to how he argued harry's innocence over the summer during his trial Mm. like very calmly and then just asking very pointed questions and then ultimately, when it was clear that Umbridge didn't have a leg to stand on, being like, well, great. Glad to hear that Gryffindor has been reinstated. Uh, have a great day, Dolores. I look forward to their reinstatement. <laughs> yep. Immediately. <laughs> without delay. <laughs> Thank you, Toad. <laughs> I think, though, that given Slytherin, we already know that they've been given permission to practice. It wouldn't be that hard for Dumbledore to argue that I'm guessing it's the other three houses at this point, but mm. it, I think it would be near impossible for her not to reinstate all four house Quidditch teams. Now, whether or not she found a way to remove Harry from Gryffindor is a completely different story because really at the end of the day, I think all she cares about is making Harry's life miserable. Yeah, And if he wasn't on the Quidditch team, I think Gryffindor would have already gotten approval not long after she put out that decree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I know we hear about the Board of Governors really early on in the series. Maybe that's just one of the things that got dropped as we went through because I know like Lucius was on the Board of Governors. Um, so I didn't know maybe if they had a role to play in things like this or you know, if there's powerful Gryffindor people on the Board of Governors, they might have some sway. Yeah. Yeah, you would think so. The Gryffindor Quidditch team never did anything wrong. So there was... No excuse Umbridge could come up with. Her best excuse was, I hate Harry. And Harry did something bad. But that's not enough to cancel an entire team. Right. So the the conversation turns back to Dumbledore's army. But Hermione is having second thoughts about it. Now that Sirius (laughs) is a big fan of this plan. She thinks that he's been, quote, reckless and living through the trio since he's been stuck at Grimwald Place. So she just doesn't trust his judgment anymore. Ouch, right? That hurts. Yeah, I get it, though. I get it, <laughs> She's kind of right. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just what I love about it is that as soon as she starts second-guessing, Ron and Harry are at a loss for words. They can't figure it. <laughs> They're like, you, you suggested this was your idea in the first place. They don't know where to go with her to, like, convince her that what they're doing is right. Right. But it, I don't know. It's just... It's just funny how, I mean, she's really leading the way here. Yeah. I I think Mm -hmm. unlike Ron and Hermione, though, Hermione is processing the actual risk of what they're doing and what the potential consequences are. And she's only nervous now, and this is with good reason, because Umbridge almost caught Sirius. But there was an inherent risk of getting caught with something like Dumbledore's army to start. So she knew this. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think this is her analytical mind at work, and she's kind of speaking out loud. Mm-hmm. And that Ron and Harry, they just they're shocked that she's now thinking about not doing this. But I, I actually think it's smart that that she's considering her options because look at what almost just happened at the end of the last chapter. And the big question is still where? Where can they do this without getting caught? Right. And there are no options that seem to stand out because Umbridge will be able to get wherever they are. Um, but yeah, the room of requirement will solve all of their problems. 
I was I was wondering, has anyone ever been guilty of encouraging someone to do something so you could live vicariously through them? I always think of like gambling. It's a lot of fun to watch people gamble because it's not your money. <laughs> and then once you start playing, you're like, oh, ooh, never mind. I have provided that service for others uh, where I gamble and lose money oh, okay. uh, for their entertainment. Yes, I have done that. Not willingly, but I've I've done that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to Vegas with you, Andrew. <laughs> this is a red flag right away. You're gonna have uh, be on the roulette table. Yeah, let me watch you play. You're just gonna want to like put the little chips on the uh, mm-hmm. on the board for me, and then hope for the best. I really like this chat. Actually, this is my favorite chapter of Order of the Phoenix, so I'm really oh, excited wow. that we're talking about it. Um, but I love it mostly because of what it does for both Hermione and Harry, but specifically that part of Hermione and it'll come up later when we do the connections between the books, but that, that I love that she wants to do what is right. And then it usually catches up to her, uh Oh, you know, um, but she continues on. And I think that really captures why she's in Gryffindor. And, you know, I do point out later in the chapter, Harry does refrain from being reckless. So, you know, she can count that as a win (laughs) (laughs) that she got into his brain, you know, yeah, so Harry Harry starts feeling the burn, <laughs> and not the type of burn that Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada has been feeling. <laughs> <laughs> he 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 realizes that Voldemort is angry, and Harry it's it says Harry had not meant to say that at all. Yet he knew it once; it was true. Voldemort was in a towering temper, and then Harry says to Ron, "He wants something done, and it's not happening fast enough." Mm. Um, Dumbledore in the last book had warned Harry that he'll be able to feel Voldemort's angry mood, but this was the first time he realized he could feel when Voldemort was in a happy mood, too. And Harry also seems very confident in relaying Voldemort's feelings for the first time. I mean, just the way that J.K. Rowling writes this, Harry had no doubt in his mind that Voldemort was feeling this way. So Harry is now experiencing the highs and lows of, of Voldemort's uh, life and, and mission. And I'm wondering if there's other feelings he could be experiencing as well, because like, when else do you have certain highs getting back to gambling? Not that I think Voldemort is gambling or maybe when he's having some fun with Bellatrix. I wonder if he can feel that too. I think if that were the case, we would have seen evidence in Deathly Hallows <laughs> just based on Cursed Child and what we know apparently happened during that particular point in the series yeah yeah (laughs) makes you wonder i can't recall but wasn't it strictly a movieism that harry and voldemort were feeling these emotions when the horcruxes were being destroyed particularly voldemort yeah but they are related Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of a related incident in the books voldemort has been so distant from his horcruxes for such a long time that he doesn't feel when they've been destroyed. It's in fact only after he goes and searches them all up and realizes they've been taken that he knows he's in trouble. Right. But in the movie, as soon as one is destroyed, he like screams. Right. Well, I mean, for for the movie, it it obviously makes sense to do that because it it gives the person watching a little bit more insight into what's going on. But yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think maybe he's just upset he had to practice for those couple of hours in the rain, you know, that piece of him that's inside of Harry is, you know, just pissed off that he's soaking wet and exhausted. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I, I do think it's important here to talk about Horcruxes because this is one of the times in Order of the Phoenix that we could say that perhaps this connection is so strong because part of Voldemort is within Harry and that's what is allowing them to connect with each other. Yeah. So Harry is sharing this information with Ron and Ron's like, well, it's time to go to Dumbledore to tell him about what you're feeling right now. But Harry shrugs it off. And I find this surprising because surely Dumbledore would like to know that Voldemort isn't happy that something's not happening faster. This seems like very valuable information, especially when Dumbledore has a sense of what Voldemort is after already, or he knows what Voldemort's after already. So so what's going on here? Why why is Harry so stubborn about this? He just I think it's just it's just the treatment that he's been receiving from Dumbledore, right? He's like, I'm not gonna do him any favors. He can figure out I mean, if I can if if, if Harry can walk into a pub and all of a sudden four different people are able to report to Dumbledore what he's doing, Harry probably figures he's not the only source of information for that Voldemort is frustrated. And he just I don't know, he just dissociates himself from being on Dumbledore's side, which is ironic given what he's doing later in this chapter. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, Harry is like conditioned to not trust adults. I mean, it's we see it from the first book all the way through up to here. But I specifically remember, you know, when his scar starts hurting in Goblet of Fire, he literally goes through a list in his mind of who he can talk to and then also what they'll say back. And he settles on Sirius instead of Dumbledore. You know, I think that's very telling about whether or not Harry trusts you know, or doesn't want to bother Dumbledore with these kinds of things. Right. Yeah. You would think Dumbledore might want to resolve this so that Harry does trust him more. You would think. Because the information is valuable. Yeah. Yeah, you really would think. But Dumbledore has never has not created that environment of come and tell me. Even the even the idea that he'd be bothering Dumbledore if he were to tell yeah. him like that that's that's on Dumbledore, I think, to to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. I agree with Eric. Yeah, because I mean he all he even tells Sirius later in this book about what's going on instead of and now if Sirius relays that to Dumbledore is a different matter altogether. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. this is Dumbledore's fault. He's isolated Harry for the entire year thus far, even going back into the summer, and so I can't blame Harry for not thinking that he can go and, and trust Dumbledore with this information. But I do think he should have spoken with somebody. Sirius is obviously not an option, but McGonagall could have been. And I think his decision not to tell any adult makes him more vulnerable to manipulation in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So in some lighter news, Dobby shows up and he stops by to deliver Hedwig, who's now mended, uh, thanks to Grubbly Plank. And Dobby reveals that, as we saw in the chapter art, that he's been taking all the hats and socks that Hermione (laughs) has been knitting, and it's super adorable. And Winky, unfortunately, we learn, has been drinking a lot over all these clothing drops. <laughs> Hermione's work <laughs> is causing Winky to drink. It's just so sad. Um, and just to see, to hear Dobby tell the story is is really entertaining as well. It's also interesting because Dobby points out that none of the other elves will claim the Gryffindor common room anymore because they're offended. Yeah, yeah. And the clothes being left. And so it's it's interesting because, you know, we've talked about this before. Hermione's trying to do the right thing here. But we were kind of questioning, is she going about it the right way? And it's, yeah. And it's backfiring badly. Mm-hmm. With Hedwig's arrival, 
uh, I wanted to go back to something that was really at the very start of the chapter, and that is Hermione saying that she believes Umbridge is responsible for the attack on Hedwig. Now, we don't know specifics, but if that is the case, let's add animal cruelty to the list for Umbridge, and mm-hmm. we can plus up her suck count at the end of this discussion. Oh, thank <laughs> gosh. I was worried we wouldn't be able to do that mm-hmm. in this chapter. <laughs> but you're right. You're right. What a horrible way to start the chapter. You know Hermione is 100% correct on this, because she lays mm-hmm. out... It's pretty much the... It's like an open shut case. It's like, this is clearly where she connects the dung bomb thing. She really is just the top witch of her age. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I, I, when I read Order of the Phoenix, I always do end up wondering what happened to Winky. And so I went and looked it up and saw that apparently, according to JKR, that she did participate in the Battle of Hogwarts and that she got off the sauce, I think is how J.K. Rowling <laughs> put it. But um, I find that really interesting. I kind of wish we had seen more of Winky later on because she kind of gets you know dropped off after after this book hmm. and of course i don't think makes any appearance at all in the movies which was a bit of a bummer mm-hmm. yeah. no and, and i think that was a miss particularly with barty crouch jr in in goblet of fire yep. yeah and then of course we didn't get i don't think any house elves with the exception of creature uh in order of the phoenix so um it i think it's actually neville right who um, tips off Harry about the rumor requirement in the movie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so speaking of the rumor requirement, so uh, Dobby, Dobby is just absolutely in love with Harry. Anything for Harry Potter, whatever I can do to help, I'm there <laughs> for you, buddy. And so Harry asks him for a place for Dumbledore's army to meet, and Dumbledore, imme- I'm sorry, Dobby immediately thinks of the room of requirement or the come and go room. And I think we've referenced that alternate title from time to time on the show um and dobby says that he uses this room for winky when winky has drunk too much and (laughs) so they go in there and they find a a little elf bed which is just so cute to visualize and butterbeer antidotes you know they actually have places like this in vegas i'm bringing up gambling a lot this episode but (laughs) vegas has hangover doctor offices where you can go and they'll shoot you up with i don't know water and and some vitamins to help you recover from your hangover and um i have an annual pass to one of those places but anyway it's it's that that just made me think of that these are real things yeah i mean i i don't reading about the quote antidote to butterbeer i'm like (laughs) wow i didn't realize butterbeer needed i mean I, i don't know that it's a specific you know, it might just be like a, a betterment potion or a yeah. hydration potion or, you know, treating the, the causes of drunkenness rather than being a specific anti-butterbeer. Kind yeah, of I didn't know you could get wasted off of butterbeer. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I didn't think it was so strong. Well, normally you can't, but because right. Winky is 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 smaller, it affects her uh, a lot more. Okay, that yeah, makes I sense. Think, I think Harry brought this up. It, was it in Goblet of Fire? Yeah. Um, And Dobby says, like, tis strong for a house elf (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i love that um the dumbledore chamber plots line from goblet of fire really was like so important in this book um i think that's a really funny connection to 
to Goblet of Fire. Also, I still wonder why was Dumbledore wandering around the castle at 5 a.m. and didn't know where a bathroom was, but still, <laughs> worked out here. Well, one so. thing at a time here. We're trying to figure a lot out. Yeah, you, you, you think <laughs> he I, has I, his own bathroom. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, but that's that's kind of what makes it a little bit more obviously a clue for Harry. Like and and mm. seeing Harry internalize this when when Dobby's telling him about the room, he's like, "Oh man, I now I remember Dumbledore saying something about a room with chamber pots." And so it's it's almost <laughs> that revelation that he has that Dumbledore has said about this room in close proximity, kind of with a, with a code, right? Like codedly mm-hmm. convinces Harry that this is the way beyond all other ways to go. And it convinces Hermione, which is even more important. Yeah, yeah like, it's like... That this is a good, you know, safe place. Oh, Dumbledore's idea. I'm in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so even though Dumbledore is not speaking to Harry, Harry is not speaking to Dumbledore, there has managed to be this transmission of information yeah. between the two of them, which is really and, cool. And I think it's important that it's laid out in this chapter that the room of requirement is a room for all. Right, they talk about Dumbledore. They talk about uh, Filch. Right, I think isn't it Fred and George mm-hmm. who mentioned Filch? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and there's a couple of other references. Not only that, like the complete contrast in what this room is used for in Order of the Phoenix versus what it's used for in Half Blood Prince, and the fact that it's it's a room right now, which is for the formation of Dumbledore's army to fight back. Yet in Half-Blood Prince, it is a way for Death Eaters to infiltrate the school. So complete, completely different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's even more disturbing when you consider the fact that Draco Malfoy takes his cues on how to organize that based on how Dumbledore's army uh, communicates with each other later on in this book. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. One wonders if this room survives the post-Harry Potter 7 world, because it does seem like a security nightmare. <laughs> starting to sound like a security nightmare. Security nightmare. <laughs> but really, for, for anyone to be able to use this, that's a problem, especially to break into the school. Yeah, we don't ever find out, do we, after book seven, whether the, the fiend fire destroyed that room completely or if they managed to get it back mm. up and running. You know. Oh man, I would I would guess they get it back up and running because that room basically purges itself. So yeah, so Dumbledore's army unites in the room of requirement. Everybody gets in. Um, the room has a lot of books and um, other magical objects to help them in their training. Right, Eric? Yeah, it it's got some really cool. I mean, I wonder where all these books came from, like physically, but. This seems to have pretty much everything you'd ever need. I I just I get giddy reading mm. this segment of 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 the chapter like a room that can be absolutely anything ever that you want and the books are clearly real books. It's not like the room is manifesting books that didn't previously exist, but it's pulling relevant source material. It really speaks to like a sentience and uh, of Hogwarts. And I just had to laugh because Hermione, before they get the, the group together, is seen reading a book called um, Jinxes for the Jinxed. And if you'll recall, she earlier in this book had a huge argument with Umbridge over Jinxes and counter Jinxes. And so I'm wondering if she, the reason she waltzed over to this particular book and started reading it while there was still disorder and people were still arriving was to see if she could like prove her point or 
just pick up another book on Jinxus. It's a very clever, in my mind, very small throwback to a couple chapters ago. Mm, yeah. Mm. And I, I was just looking it up, and we don't know for sure if the Room of Requirements survived Book 7. Ron does wonder if it's still there, but we don't get an answer for sure. Time to tweet J.K. Rowling. <laughs> yeah, because, I, I mean, I would assume maybe like the Chamber of Secrets, that's a place that was built by the founders. So, you know, I don't know what kind of magic would go into building that space. Yeah. Well, and I just feel like because it's able to transform into so many things, it should be able to survive something like what occurs in mm-hmm. Deathly Hallows. But um, the group, when they're trying to come up with a name for Dumbledore's army, they... The, the group tosses around a bunch of different names, and Eric thought that we could write these alternative names. I think that's a fun idea. Um, Angelina Johnson said the Anti-Umbridge League. I feel like that's pushing your luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a little to have, on the nose. <laughs> yeah, and she's going to get extra mad if she hears about yeah, it. You, yeah. you need the acronym to go along with it as well. You know, like, it, you need that D-A, right? It, yeah. T-A-U-L doesn't work. I mean, they could be the A-U-L. A-U-L, the all. Oh, we're all (laughs) going to bring down Voldemort. Um, Fred Weasley said the Ministry of Magic are morons group. (laughs) Or MAMGA. You know, I I have to give him points for the alliteration that's going on here. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But also would deeply anger Umbridge, so best that they did not pick that one um cho chang said the defense association which is just so boring that sounds like an office (laughs) well it's definitely less gryffindor than the first two (laughs) it 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 does speak for itself though kind of yeah it's very ravenclaw yeah practical yep yeah when i think of other names it could have been i think of like harry potter trivia names like the group who shall not be named (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. But it is, of course, Ginny Weasley who comes up with, uh, oh, we'll we'll keep your DA idea, Mm -hmm. Joe, but let's call it Dumbledore's Army. Mm -hmm. I mean, Harry's girlfriend's got brains, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So I I think we're in agreement that the names get better as they go along. They, like, properly narrow it down. Mm Mm-hmm. Defense Association wasn't, in my opinion. But do you you think that that's the second best of the proposed, or would you rather have Ministry of Magic or Morons Group or Anti-Umbridge League over Defense Association if it can't be Dumbledore's Army? If there were no consequences to calling it the Anti-Umbridge League, I would definitely call it the Anti-Umbridge League. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really uh, enjoy the first part of this with Hermione like sticking to the rules. Like we've got to vote on a name, we've got to vote on a leader. Um, yeah, I think that that's one of my favorite little Hermione pieces in this chapter. Yeah, and it is a great idea because there are some some members of this group who have shown signs of defection or rebellion, and by voting for the leader, there's going to be no doubt about that about who's in charge. Yeah, it is kind of a funny moment where Hermione keeps putting her hand in the air and Harry is getting a taste of what it's like to be Umbridge in this case. Like, (laughs) okay, yes, what do you need now? Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a cool little, like I wrote in the doc hashtag justice for Professor Harry, but um, I love that little moment of Harry knowing what it feels like to be a Hogwarts professor that has Hermione in their classroom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's why he didn't need to come back to be a teacher, because he already was a teacher at Hogwarts. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, I I thought this was was great. And and as you would expect, students, they they don't like the fact that they have to start with the basics. But 
in, in going through this exercise, you see that not everyone is as good at the basics as mm-hmm. you would be led to believe. And it's really important that they start here and they go with Expelliarmus. I thought the moment between Harry and Neville, despite, despite the fact that it's because Harry is distracted by Cho that Neville is able to disarm him, but still <laughs> for the confidence boost that it gives Neville, yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. so important. Yeah. And, I, and I think Harry really shines uh, through, even in this first lesson, as, as being a really good teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and nobody likes Zacharias Smith. I bet Zacharias Smith's own mother doesn't even like him. <laughs> but Fred and George jinxing him is not allowed. Yeah. And Harry, like, gives them an eye. I take back what I said about that. It was very mean about saying his mother didn't even like him. But I'm with you. Know, you. I don't I'm like his true. name. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Fred and George taking turns jinxing him and Harry just giving them an eye and Fred being like, sorry, Harry. Couldn't help it. Um, is a very teacherly thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like Har- Harry allows it. He doesn't like out them and say this is what was happening. But he puts a stop to it. Like they understand. And Fred and George, who are older than Harry, like respect him enough to like knock it off. Then yeah, I think this is one of my favorite chapters in this book because it's one of the few times where we get to see Harry be really happy and feel like he uh. he's got control of something. I mean, he starts off this lesson like super nervous. And then by the end, you know, he feels really comfortable. And I think that's a really cool thing to see in his character growth. It's kind of, um, you know how in the movie, when Harry and Cho are under the mistletoe, I know that we're not there yet in this part in the book, but how it just magically appears over them, mm-hmm. like right away. So too, in the book, Harry's trying to get some order and he thinks, I should have a whistle. And he looks like over on a chair and all of a sudden there's a whistle there. Um, which I think is pretty much the same way. Like I, I completely envision a whistle not having been there a second before, um, like when the room first came up. But as soon as he thinks it, because he's the one who called the room into existence, that it'll show up that same way, which just speaks to how cool the room is. Yeah. And final point I'll make on it is even though these spells are basic and and yeah, we're getting started with simple spells because not everybody is that great at them. They're also just building a team here. They're getting to know each other. So, so I think it's great to start at this level so they can, so they don't have to, um, dive in knee deep first. They, they just get their toes wet. Right. And unity is, is important. Obviously we're leaving Slytherin out of the equation here. Sorry, Grace, but, uh, (laughs) it's the way JK Rowling wrote the story, but I think it's, it's so important that we're seeing all three of these houses come together to, to fight for a common cause. And this is the very foundation of that. No house points to deal with either. Could Harry, this is that's a cool what example. I, you made me think of that though earlier. Could Harry give out house points during this lesson? Interesting. I don't think he should. I, I brought that up because I think the beauty of Dumbledore's army is that they're not against each other. They're all in this together. So don't throw house points in the mix because it's just going to start dividing people up again. Yeah, this is also, I mean, it's a really nice parallel to the Order of the Phoenix. I mean, they are effectively mirroring what the adults are doing outside of the castle. So this is real world experience for them that's not being hampered by these, you know, house rules that will have no practical application once they leave school. I feel like Umbridge would want to know the source of any and all points given to houses too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, So, I mean, Harry can't because he's not a prefect, but like if he did a house thing, It'd be like, wow, weirdly, Ravenclaw's up 17 between 5 p.m. when classes ended yesterday and 
<laughs> and 10 a.m. this morning. So it'd be like a dead giveaway what they were doing. True. All right. And I think that's the chapter. Wow. We got kind of a quick discussion. Streamlined. Yeah. It was a simpler chapter, I would say. Mm-hmm. It's just one of the best ones, you know, where like everything's going according to like Harry's able to learn and grow and have a good time. It's a feel good chapter. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a small chapter, but it has mighty implications for the series, which is neat yeah. to me. Yeah, definitely does. Well put. Well put. And speaking of, we still have the Umbridge suck count ahead, as well as some connecting the threads to discuss. But before that, we need to talk about a different kind of thread. We're going to hear from <laughs> one of our sponsors, Third Love. I've been wearing Third Love's bras for over a year at this point. Every bra is made for your comfort with memory foam cups, no-slip straps, and a smooth, scratch-free band with a printed label. I stand by these bras because they are seriously the most comfortable bras I've ever worn. Third Love uses data points from 15 million people who've taken their Fit Finder quiz, and they use this to make recommendations based on breast size and shape. I was pretty amazed when I took their Fit Finder quiz online and subsequently received the best fitting bra I've ever had. And if you need help, they have a team of fit stylists available via chat and email dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit. And if you don't love it, every customer has 60 days to wash it, wear it, and put it to the test. Then return it for free and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a person in need. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash mugglecast to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash mugglecast for 15% off today. All right, so the Umbridge suck count, I believe, only grows by one today because of potentially attacking Hedwig. Right. Uh, I feel like animal abuse deserves extra points. Ooh. <laughs> How many points? Okay. I Can we say two? Because she attacked Hedwig, but also Grubbly Plank had to take important time away from her lesson planning right. to heal Hedwig. Yeah. There you go. Sure. Yeah. Screw Umbridge. Okay. Yeah, and she's probably so going to dock Grubbly Plank because she didn't have time to prepare for her lesson. So you could add another one on for that. Right. No, what? Oh, but that's... Here, I'm if we want to extrapolate now. it all the way out, who knows what this damage could be could have done to Hedwig. So that Deathly Hallows, if she could have flown better, maybe she <gasps> oh, would have avoided... Yes. Oh, my God. So like you're saying oh if she's God. you're saying I'm if she's saying like Umbridge is limp? directly responsible for Hedwig's death in Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, yeah, I can add an extra point for that. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. All right, so that brings up to 35. <laughs> All right, well, we've got several threads to connect today. What I love about this chapter is, like we said, the discussion about it can be pretty streamlined, but there's a lot of little things going on here that are pretty cool callbacks to Prisoner of Azkaban. So we can start with Quidditch. Um we are introduced to the impervious charm in Chapter 9 of Prisoner of Azkaban when Hermione charms Harry's glasses so that 
they so that he can actually see while he's flying in a blinding rainstorm when they uh, play against Hufflepuff. And here, when the Gryffindor Quidditch team is practicing, they all use the same charm so that the rain doesn't get in their faces and um, block them while they're trying to practice because Angelina says they're probably going to play against Slytherin in pretty similar conditions. So I thought that was a nice little callback. Um, then there's this really cool thing about Sirius in Hogwarts. Um, so in Chapter 9 of Prisoner of Azkaban, we learn that Sirius has successfully escaped Hogwarts and evaded any kind of capture. This is after he breaks into uh, the Gryffindor boys' dormitory and Ron believes that Sirius is trying to stab him. Really, he's trying to kill Peter Pettigrew. But um, everybody's sort of flummoxed by the fact that Sirius was able to get in undetected and get out um, without being captured. And here we see uh, the trio sort of uncertain about how much Umbridge knows about how close she came to capturing Sirius. So it's a really nice contrast here where Sirius uh gets away and is, you know, pretty certainly safe in Prisoner of Azkaban. But in this book, we're feeling a little bit unsettled, thinking Umbridge may mo- may know more um, than what we're hoping. Also, it's really interesting looking back at Prisoner of Azkaban in Chapter 21. Dumbledore tells two 13-year-olds, like, <laughs> yeah, use this time, Turner. <laughs> <laughs> Go back in time, save Sirius, save Buckbeak. So Dumbledore's really giving Harry and Hermione his stamp of approval um, to sort of act in his stead. And then in Chapter 18 of Order of the Phoenix, um, the students actively take Dumbledore's name on when they decide that they're going to fight the power. <laughs> so mm. I thought that was a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, Then also looking at Hermione sort of taking matters into her own hands. Um, In Prisoner of Azkaban, throughout the book, she devotes a significant amount of time to helping Hagrid prep for Buckbeak's trial, actively trying to undermine the ministry effectively. And in Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 18, we see, you know, the birth of a movement that Hermione originally inspired, again, looking to undermine the ministry. Um, And then, Eric, I know you'll like this one. (laughs) Third-year Harry is way more prepared for Defense Against the Dark Arts than his peers two years later. This is evidenced by the fact that at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry produces a fully formed Patronus to save himself, Sirius, and Hermione from a horde of Dementors. Meanwhile, fifth-year and older students in Dumbledore's army can barely produce Expelliarmus. Yep. And that just goes to show how woefully underprepared these students are. Mm, Yeah, that's fair. And then, Micah, I think you had a couple of threads to connect. Yeah, I did. Um, The first one is actually with the Marauder's Map. Um, Chapter 18 of Prisoner of Azkaban is entitled Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. And in Chapter 18 of Order of the Phoenix, the Marauder's Map plays a significant role in the safety of the Dumbledore's army students. Love it. Um, and then Hermione, in Chapter 18 of Prisoner of Azkaban, this is when they're inside the Shrieking Shack, she has this insistence that there aren't unregistered animagi. Um, mm. 
And, you know, she reiterates this point um, during the conversation with Lupin and Sirius and others. And she still believes that the ministry holds the absolute truth about everything. And I wanted to, I just thought that that's a far cry from chapter 18 of Order of the Phoenix, where she believes the ministry oh, yeah. is full yeah. of <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's so funny, too, because we still see evidence in this book of Hermione. Um, wanting to discount rumors like Luna says something a little bit earlier in the book about <laughs> Cornelius Fudge having an army of heliopaths and Hermione's like oh goodness that's just nonsense those aren't real <laughs> um, so definitely I mean we know that Hermione could have ended up being sorted into Ravenclaw and I think that this chapter evidences that like we see um, Hermione's overwhelming tendencies, very like Gryffindor-esque tendencies of doing what's right and and fighting the injustice that's happening in the ministry. But then also sometimes she's kind of roped in by her intellect mm-hmm. yep. a bit. I think sometimes her tendency to follow rules can kind of hinder her a little bit. All right, great stuff. And now it's time for our MVP of the week. Oh boy, look out. Here it comes. Get ready for the beat drop. <laughs> oh. It's about to drop. Uh. All right, so I'm going to give mine to Dobby for being friend to the ill, specifically Hedwig and Winky. Oh. I'm giving mine to Hogwarts for having just a thing to help our students practice. (laughs) Eric's so animated now with the music. The music really wakes me up. As a person who works in marketing, I have to give mine to Ginny for creating a very lucrative brand with the uh, name Dumbler's Army. Yep. I'm going to have to give mine to Harry for teaching his signature life-saving move. Nice. (laughs) Time and time again, disarming is what saves him. And I'll give mine to Neville for finally being able to cast Expelliarmus and getting that huge boost of confidence that he truly needed. All right. And now it is time for us to rename the chapter, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 18. (laughs) Okay, so obviously Voldemort's not in love with Harry, but I just thought, like, feeling. (laughs) I I was going to say, is this the end of the chapter where Harry's just you know, totally all, all about show. Oh, no, I was going for the Harry Voldemort connection. Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I went with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 18, The Tower of Hats. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like the, it would be. The, the art for the chapter, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I had two choices, one obvious, which is the room of requirement, or the one that I relate more to, teaching at Hogwarts, fake it till you make it. <laughs> 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 I went with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 18, Defense Against the Dull Arts. I see what you did there. Nice. Yep. And uh, finally, I went with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 18, House Elf Hangovers. If you have any feedback about today's discussion, email it on in to mugglecast.gmail.com, or you can record a voice memo on your phone and send it to the same address. Just try to record in a quiet place and keep your message to no longer than 60 seconds. Okay, it's time now for Quizitch, and as I understand it, we have some music now for this as well. That is right. 
<laughs> last, right. Last week's Quizzitz question, what spell does Gryffindor use to help them practice at Quidditch? The answer, of course, is the impervious charm. Congratulations to everyone who submitted the correct answer, including Ryan Nolan, Jim Bob Hu, Pranvi Singh, Julian S., Rich T. Chicken, Marie Lepaki, The Cat's Pajamas, Real Slim Brady, K. Jason King, Michael Nutt Eric, Hannah E., and Robbie S. And next week's Quizich question, what does Hermione use to bewitch the golden coins for Dumbledore's army members? Please submit your correct answer to us on Twitter over at MuggleCast, hashtag Quizich. Thanks for playing. And uh, be sure to also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We are also MuggleCast there. You will stay abreast of the latest Harry Potter and Fantastic Beast news. Hopefully we'll be getting some Fantastic Beast news uh, soon as well. But Grace, thanks for coming on the show today. It was great having you on. Thanks. This has been like 12-year-old's me dream. <laughs> awesome. And hopefully current Grace's dream as well. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was boring, but at least I played off my 12-year-old self uh, wildest fantasies. <laughs> uh, some Sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, I used to listen to the show. And I'm like, used to <laughs> we're still doing it <laughs> oh yeah 15 years almost <laughs> yeah yeah 15 years this august thank you to everybody who supports us on patreon if you aren't a patron yet we would love if you considered doing so um by pledging at the five dollar level or higher you will be eligible for our physical gift which we should be announcing in the next month or two we're just finalizing the details there it's gonna be really good even though you won't be getting our physical gift right away, you will have access to lots of bonus material, including bonus MuggleCast. You'll be able to hop into our live stream so you can hear us recording and unintentionally revealing the physical gift. <laughs> That's the beauty of the live stream. It's just this unfiltered look at the show. And then, of course, you will, if you pledge at the Slug Club level, you will have the opportunity to co-host MuggleCast one day, just like Grace did today. So thank you to everybody who supports us. We truly could not do this without you. So we really appreciate your support. And even if you don't support us on Patreon, you are a listener, obviously. Make sure you are subscribed to the show. Sometimes people hear this word subscribe and they think it means you have to pay. You can subscribe for free through your favorite podcasting app. So make sure you do that and you will stay up to date on the latest episodes of MuggleCast. And also follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All right, I think that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Maura. And I'm Grace. Bye, everybody. See ya. Bye. Bye.